Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. And it is a beautiful, almost winter warning weather storm day out today. I think this time we're not dodging the bullet. It's looking kind of ominous and everybody just stay safe out there. Make sure you have all your basics and staples now. Be prepared for power outages if you're in this path. but... But who knows, somebody may be listening to this three years from now and they're like, I'm listening to this on a July day. What on earth are you even talking about? (laughs) On this date, February 22, 2023, we are facing a very impressive weather system coming through. We're getting snow and ice. Happy to be back at it again today. Mm -hmm. uh, It's best to be inside safe and warm and reading the Bible. Let's just do that. Let's do that. That sounds like a plan. So let's get started here. I'm going to say a quick prayer, and uh, then Heidi's going to get us started in Matthew. So, Father God, be with us today. If anybody's traveling today, just be with them. Keep them safe. Put that hedge of protection. Just put your arms around them and make sure that they get to where they're going safely. Yes. Uh, We just uh, love you. We love that you're here with us while we're reading, and we hope that whoever's out there listening is blessed by something that we say today, uh, you speaking through us. So... I ask this all in your holy name. I pray, amen. Amen. All right, wife. So we are starting out in Matthew. Matthew 15. Matthew 15 it is. All right, here we go. After that, Pharisees and religion scholars came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem, criticizing, why do your disciples play fast and loose with the rules? But Jesus put it right back on them. Why do you use your rules to play fast and loose with God's commands? Ooh. God clearly says, respect your father and mother, and anyone denouncing father or mother should be killed. But you weasel around that by saying, whoever wants to can say to father and mother, what I owed to you, I've given to God. That can hardly be called respecting a parent. You cancel God's command by your rules. Frauds. Isaiah's prophecy of you hit the bullseye. These people make a big show of saying the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. They act like they're worshiping me, but they don't mean it. They just use me as a cover for teaching whatever suits their fancy. He then called the crowd together and said, listen and take this to heart. It's not what you swallow that pollutes your life, but what you vomit up. Later, his disciples came and told him, Did you know how upset the Pharisees were when they heard what you said? Jesus shrugged it off. Every tree that wasn't planted by my Father in heaven will be pulled up by its roots. Forget them. They are blind men leading blind men. When a blind man leads a blind man, they both end up in the ditch. Peter said, I don't get it. Put it in plain language. Jesus replied, you too? Are you being willfully stupid? Don't you know that anything that is swallowed works its way through the intestines and is finally defecated? Boy, Jesus wasn't pulling any punches there. Uh, No. (laughs) Are you willfully stupid? I know. Things you don't want Jesus to say to you. Anyway. But what comes out of the mouth gets its start in the heart. It's from the heart that we vomit up evil arguments, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, lies, and cussing. That's what pollutes. 
Eating or not eating certain foods, washing or not washing your hands, that's neither here nor there. I love Jesus calling people out yeah. constantly for legalism. Yes, always. that, And that has been a theme through it all. It's not like he's just picking that up all of a sudden. He has continually pushed back against that legalism. I know. And I get such confirmation from this that what I'm doing is the right way. That, no, it's not all those laws and rules and yeah. oh, all that nonsense that gets in the way of your relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And that's profoundly sad to me. Profoundly sad. But I'm on a mission to make some changes in the world where I can. We'll see what happens. And you've been doing it, too. I mean, it's mm-hmm. been it's been fun to watch. And uh, but you have been absolutely living out the passion that is inside of you. It's not something that's gone dormant. Oh, it just gets more and more and more yeah. every single day. I something happens that completely confirms to me that I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to do. It yeah. is it, it blows my mind every day. And now I'll be picking up an Acts, and I'll be reading out of chapter 21, verse 1 through 26. And so with the tearful goodbyes behind us, we were on our way. We made a straight run to Kos, the next day reached Rhodes, and then Patera. There we found a ship going directly to Phoenicia, got on board, and set sail. Cyprus came into view on our left, but was soon out of sight as we set on course for Syria and eventually docked in the port of Tyre. While the cargo was being unloaded, we looked up the local disciples and stayed with them for seven days. Their message to Paul, from insight given by the Spirit, was, Don't go to Jerusalem. When our time was up, they escorted us out of the city to the docks. Everyone came along, men, women, children. They made a farewell party of the occasion. We all kneeled together on the bench and prayed, and then, after another round of saying goodbye, we climbed on board the ship while they drifted back to their homes. A short run from Tyre to Ptolemus completed the voyage. We greeted our Christian friends there and stayed with them a day. In the morning, we went to Caesarea and stayed with Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. Philip had four virgin daughters who prophesied. After several days of visiting, a prophet from Judea by the name of Agabus came down to see us. He went right up to Paul, took Paul's belt, and in a dramatic gesture tied himself up hands and feet and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. Jews in Jerusalem are going to tie up the man who owns this belt just like this and hand him over to godless unbelievers. When we heard that, We and everyone there that day begged Paul not to be stubborn and persist in going to Jerusalem. But Paul wouldn't budge. Why all the hysteria? Why do you insist on making a scene and making it even harder for me? You're looking at this backward. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether arrest or murder, but what the Master Jesus does through my obedience. Can't you see that? we saw that we weren't making even a dent in his resolve and gave up. It's in God's hands now, we said. Master, you handle it. It wasn't long before we had our luggage together and we were on our way to Jerusalem. 
Some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and took us to the home of Manasseh, who received us warmly as his guests. A native of Cyprus, he had been among the earliest disciples. In Jerusalem, our friends, glad to see us, received us with open arms. The first thing next morning, we took Paul to see James. All of the church leaders were there. After a time of greeting and small talk, Paul told the story, detail by detail, of what God had done among the non-Jewish people through his ministry. They listened with delight and gave God the glory. They had a story to tell, too, and just look at what's been happening here. Thousands upon thousands of God-fearing Jews have become believers in Jesus. But there's also a problem because they are more zealous than ever in observing the laws of Moses. They've been told that you advise believing Jews to live surrounded by unbelieving outsiders to go light on Moses, telling them they don't need to circumcise their children or keep the old traditions. This isn't sitting at all well with them. We're worried about what will happen when they discover that you're in town. There's bound to be trouble. So here's what we want you to do. There are four men from our company who have taken a vow involving ritual purification, but have no money to pay the expenses. Join these men in their vows and pay their expenses. Then it will become obvious to everyone that there is nothing but rumors going around about you and that you are in fact scrupulous in your reverence for the laws of Moses. In asking you to do this, we're not going back on our agreement regarding non-Jews who have become believers. We continue to hold fast to what we wrote in that letter, namely, to be careful not to be involved in activities connected with idols, to avoid serving food offensive to Jewish Christians, and to guard the morality of sex and marriage. So Paul did it, took the men, joined them in their vows, and paid their way. The next day he went to the temple to make it official and to stay there until the proper sacrifices had been offered and completed for each of them. And that's the end. All right. Uh, he was obviously so beloved by the people there. And just they knew what was waiting for him in Jerusalem. Yeah. And you can hear in those words and the dialogues back and forth that people were just struggling with this farewell. And even Paul showing his humanity and don't make this harder than it already is for me. But it's one thing, I think, to be separated from friends but then it's a whole different level when you add in if you have friends that you've done spiritual life with mm -hmm. uh, friends that you've grown in jesus with and have shared some of those really deep and rich and meaningful experiences and that's what paul was getting ready to say goodbye to yes going into the opposite yeah i mean he could have stayed and lived a wonderful beautiful life and i mean he was get, probably getting ready to cash in his 401k <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, sipping on a cocktail on some little, you know, hacienda thing or something. On a little beach, yeah, you know, yeah, the yeah, Sea like, of Galilee. You know I've done my work, you know, I'm good. Mm -hmm. And he probably would have had every right to do that. But he felt that call on his heart and yeah. he was obedient. And the cool thing here with this chapter in Acts, there was a little pause that Eugene Peterson had in here. So I'm going to go ahead and read that. As popular and successful as Paul was, as brilliant as his accomplishments had been, there was one place where he was the most wanted man, Jerusalem. 
and that was the very place he was going. Everyone was on Paul's case. Don't go to Jerusalem. What's the point? Don't be so stubborn. The church needs you. There are plenty of places to go where people will welcome you with open arms and listen to your message. Honor your presence. Why are you going to the one place where people are the most hostile towards you? Be reasonable, Paul. Then Paul made this incredible and I think admirable response. The issue in Jerusalem is not what they do to me, whether it's arrest or murder, but what the Master Jesus does through my obedience. Does that mean, does that kind of commitment attract you? It does me. Paul had a sense that his life wasn't up for a vote. He didn't take a poll among his friends to find out whether or not he should whether or not he should do something. He didn't give out evaluation forms to assess the validity of his work. Paul was beyond peer pressure. There was something at the center that took There was something at the center that took precedence and that something was God the living God. I want to live that way and I want you to live that way. My desire is that this living God would stay at the center of our lives so that the good intentions of our friends won't deflect us from the best intentions of our God. Isn't that good? I love his breaks. I think it's amazing. I love the insight. I I love it. I'm yeah. glad that you take the time and, and to read those, but he was beyond peer pressure. Yeah. I mean, it's not that it had no effect at all. It just wasn't effective enough to stop him. Yep. So now our favorite part, we're going to be rewinding back to the Old Testament. And Heidi will be picking up here with Psalms chapter 35. All right. And I skimmed through in the last two verses of this chapter. I love them. All right, here we go. Harass these hecklers, God. Punch those bullies in the nose. Grab a weapon, anything at hand. Stand up for me. Get ready to throw the spear. Aim the javelin. All the people are out to get me. Reassure me. Let me hear you say, I'll save you. When those thugs try to knife me in the back, make them look foolish. Frustrate all those who are plotting my downfall. Make them like cinders in the high wind with God's angel working the bellows. Make their road lightless and mudslick with God's angel on their tails. Out of sheer cussedness, they set a trap to catch me. For no good reason, they dug a ditch to stop me. What was that word? Cussedness? Cussedness, wow, yes. Wow, I have never heard mm-hmm. that word before. I know I have that noted in my mind to look that up. Yes, so. no, we're uh, going to look that one. Surprise them with your ambush. Catch them in the very trap they set, the disaster they planned for me. But let me run loose and free, celebrating God's great work. Every bone in my body laughing, singing, God, there's no one like you. You put the down and out on their feet. You protect the unprotected from bullies. Hostile accusers appear out of nowhere. They stand up and badger me. They pay me back misery for mercy, leaving my soul empty. When they were sick, I dressed in black. Instead of eating, I prayed. My prayers were like lead in my gut, like I'd lost my best friend, my brother. I paced, distraught as a motherless child, hunched and heavy-hearted. 
But when I was down, they threw a party. All the nameless misfits of the town came chanting insults about me, like barbarians desecrating a shrine. They destroyed my reputation. God, how long are you going to stand there doing nothing? Save me from their brutalities. Everything I've got is being thrown to the lions. I will give you full credit when everyone gathers for worship. When the people turn out in force, I will say my hallelujahs. Don't let the liars, my enemies, have a party at my expense. Those who hate me for no reason, winking and rolling their eyes. No good is going to come from that crowd. They spend all their time cooking up gossip against those who mind their own business. They open their mouths in ugly grins, mocking, ha, 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 thought you'd get away with it. We've caught you hands down. Don't you see what they're doing, God? You're not going to let them get by with it, are you? Not going to walk off without doing something, are you? Please get up. Wake up. Tend to my case. My God, my Lord, my life is on the line. Do what you think is right, God, my God. But don't make me pay for their good time. Don't let them say to themselves, Ha, ha, we got what we wanted. Don't let them say, we've chewed him up and spit him out. Let those who are being hilarious at my expense be made to look ridiculous. Make them wear donkey's ears, pen them with the donkey's tail. Who made themselves so high and mighty? And these are the two verses that end out the chapter, and I love this. But those who want the best for me, let them have the last word, hmm. a glad shout, and say over and over and over, God is great. Everything works together for good for his servant. I'll tell the world how great and good you are. I'll shout hallelujah every day, all day. I love it. I do too. Thank you, David. Can't wait to look you up in heaven too. So. <laughs> I'll join that line. I wonder if it's going to be like Cedar Point or Disney. Like, do you need a fast pass? Or, or maybe they have like little meeting rooms, you know, where like all the greats from the Bible are just kicking back oh. and like telling stories to people. <laughs> Can you imagine? I mean, yeah, like, you know, oh, hey, yeah, oh. do you want to hear about, uh, you know, taking out Goliath? Yep, come on. Uh, it's going to be Tuesday at three. But do you know what's going to be amazing? Is those same greats in the Bible are going to be coming up to people like you and me saying, tell us about that. Yeah. Tell us. Absolutely. And because I God think I forget that. work today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know what heaven is going to be like. I have some thought on that, but I don't know. And that's okay. Yeah. I just know it's going to be amazing. amazing. And now I'll be ending the day in Exodus and we're reading chapter 32 and 33. When the people realized that Moses was taking forever and coming down off the mountain, they rallied around Aaron and said, Do something. Make gods for us who will lead us. That Moses, the man who got us out of Egypt, who knows what's happened to him? So Aaron told them, Take off the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. They all did it. They removed the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took the gold from their hands and cast it in the form of a calf, shaping it with an engraving tool. The people responded with enthusiasm, These are our gods, O Israel, who brought you up from Egypt. 
Aaron, taking in the situation, built an altar before the calf. Aaron then announced, Tomorrow is a feast day to God. Early the next morning, the people got up and offered whole burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they began to party. It turned into a wild party. God spoke to Moses, Go, get down there. Your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have fallen to pieces. In no time at all they've turned away from the way that I commanded them. They made a molten calf and worshipped it. They've sacrificed to it and said, These are the gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. God said to Moses, I look at this people, oh, what a stubborn, hard-headed people. Let me alone now. Give my anger free reign to burst into flames and incinerate them, but I'll make a great nation out of you. Moses tried to calm his God down. He said, Why, God, would you lose your temper with your people? Why, you brought them out of Egypt in a tremendous demonstration of your power and strength. Why let the Egyptians say he had it in for them? He brought them out so he could kill them out in the mountains, wipe them right off the face of the earth. Stop your anger. Think twice about bringing evil against your people. Think of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you gave your word, telling them, I'll give you many children, as many as the stars in the sky, and I'll give this land to you and your children as their land forever. And God did think twice. He decided not to do the evil he had threatened against his people. Moses turned around and came down from the mountain carrying the two tablets of the testimony. The tablets were written on both sides, front and back. God made the tablets and God wrote the tablets, engraved them. When Joshua heard the sound of the people shouting noisily, he said to Moses, That's the sound of war in the camp. But Moses said, Those aren't songs of victory, and those aren't songs of defeat. I hear songs of people throwing a party. And that's what it was. When Moses came down to camp and he saw the calf and the people dancing, his anger flared. He threw down the tablets and smashed them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and melted it down with fire, pulverized it to powder, and then scattered it on the water, and then made the Israelites drink it. Moses said to Aaron, What on earth did these people ever do to you that you involved them in this huge sin? Aaron said, Master, don't be angry. You know this people and how set on evil they are. They said to me, Make us gods who will lead us. This Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. So I said, Well, who has gold? And they took off their jewelry and they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and out came this calf. Oh, it just came right out just, of the fire just, like a calf? Oh, these people. Moses saw that the people were simply running wild. Aaron had let them run wild, disgracing themselves before their enemies. He took up a position at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is on God's side, join me. All of the Levites stepped up. He then told them God's orders, the God of Israel. Strap on your swords and go to work. Crisscross the camp from one end to the other. Kill brother, friend, and neighbor. The Levites carried out Moses' orders. 3,000 of the people were killed that day. 
Moses said, You confirmed your ordination today and at a great cost, even killing your sons and brothers, and God has blessed you. The next day Moses addressed the people, You have sinned an enormous sin, but I am going to go up to God and maybe I'll be able to clear you of your sin. Moses went back to God and said, This is terrible. This people has sinned. It's an enormous sin. They made gods of gold for themselves, and now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, erase me out of the book that you've written. God said to Moses, I'll only erase from my book those who sin against me. For right now, you go ahead and lead the people to where I told you. Look, my angel is going ahead of you. On that day, though, when I settle accounts, their sins will certainly be part of the settlement. God sent a plague on the people because of the calf that they and Aaron had made. God said to Moses, Now go, get on your way from here, you and the people that you brought up from the land of Egypt. Head for that land that I promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I'll give it to your descendants. I will send an angel ahead of you, and I'll drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Man, that's a lot of Ittites and stuff. (laughs) It's a land flowing with milk and honey, but I won't be with you in person. You're such a stubborn, hard-headed people, lest I destroy you on the journey. God's Mm. like... I can't, e- I can't even be in the same car as you. Yeah, I mean, I'm done. You kids are going to be throwing spit wads at each other, and <laughs> I am likely to turn around and smack somebody. So, Oh, he's going to take his split flap off and just <laughs> whack him in the Get head. Get whacked in the head by a sandal from God. <laughs> when the people heard this harsh verdict, they were plunged into gloom and wore long faces. No one put on jewelry. God said to Moses, tell the Israelites, you're one hard-headed people. I couldn't stand being with you for even a moment. I would destroy you. So take off all your jewelry until I figure out what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped themselves of their jewelry from Mount Horeb on. Moses used to take the tent and set it up outside the camp some distance away. He called it the tent of the meeting. Anyone who sought God would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. It went like this. When Moses would go to the tent, all the people would stand at attention. Each man would take his position at the entrance to his tent with his eyes on Moses until he entered the tent. Whenever Moses entered the tent, the pillar of the cloud descended to the entrance to the tent, and God spoke to Moses. All the people would see the pillar of the cloud at the entrance to the tent, stand at attention, and then bow down and worship, each man at the entrance to his tent. And God spoke with Moses face to face as neighbors speak to one another. When he would return to the camp, his attendant, the young man Joshua, stayed. He didn't leave the tent. Moses said to God, Look, you tell me. Lead this people, but you don't let me know whom you're going to send with me. You tell me, I know you well and you are special to me. But if I'm so special to you, let me in on your plans. That way, I will continue being special to you. Don't forget, this is your people, your responsibility. God said, my presence will go with you. I'll see the journey to the end. Moses said, if your presence doesn't take the lead here, call this trip off right now. 
how else will it be known that you're with me in this, with me and your people? Are you traveling with us or not? How else will we know that we're special, I and your people, among all other people on this planet Earth? God said to Moses, All right, just as you say. This also I will do, for I know you well and you are special to me. I know you by name. Moses said, Please let me see your glory. God said, I will make my goodness pass right in front of you. I'll call out the name God right before you. I'll treat well whomever I want to treat well, and I'll be kind to whomever I want to be kind. God continued, But you may not see my face. No one can see me and live. God continued, But you may not see my face. No one can see me and live. God said, Look, here is a place right here beside me. Put yourself on this rock, and when my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll take my hand away and you'll see my back, but you won't see my face. And that's the end of chapter 33. Mm -hmm. Moses was very, very, very special to God, but Moses had to pay a very high price. Yeah. It's funny, we heard a sermon on that, and I feel like the pastor completely misinterpreted it, and he was talking about... Oh, about Jesus being God's butt? That sermon? Yeah, that sermon. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little odd, but... That's not the only thing that was odd about that. Oh, friends, we really appreciate having you along on this journey. And it's uh, it has been a learning journey for us, and I hope for you as well. We look forward truly to doing this every single time we get the chance to. And we love knowing that you are following along, and we hope that you are blessed by this like we are. So Eugene Peterson had a little pause here at the end of chapter 33. Uh, Moses had been gone a long time, 40 days and 40 nights. Meanwhile, the people, impatient to get on with their new life of freedom, decided that they wanted to develop their own worship. Worship that in the phrase of our times they could get something out of. So they talked to their associate pastor, Aaron, into providing them with worship that satisfied their desire. Something that turned out to be pretty much a reflection of the gaudy Egyptian world in which they had so recently been oppressed. But a world that they had also envied, as oppressed people often do as excluded outsiders. We know what happened with the Israelites. Their golden calf worship, which was self-defined, impatient, unreflective, and self-serving, nearly destroyed them. And the same sin has nearly destroyed us. Refusing to wait for God to speak, we fill in his silence with activity. We raise money for things, we build things, we look at the way things were done in Egypt, and we model our worship after patterns that are familiar to us and seem to work for others. Patterns that leave out ambiguity and mystery, as well as waiting on God and Mm. listening for him. And all with tragic consequences, not least in the spiritual realm. That's a powerful admonition from this pastor. I would love to know 
what it was that he gathered through all his years of pastoring that led him to write this and to write those breaks. He came to such a profound realization that so many churches are not actually living out the way Jesus mm-hmm. called for them to live in it. I can just see it in what he says that that weighed heavy on him. Yeah. Can you imagine the notes that he probably has laying around his house? Oh, I would love to have <laughs> them. What a treasure. So friends, thank you so much for joining along with us on this journey through the message today. We appreciate having you along. Please give us a like, a share, and if uh, you have any questions, comments, or anything, feel free to drop them down below. We are going to be holding a little special thing here soon. If you're interested in reading the Bible with us, we would love to have you join us, and uh, we'll have some more details on that very soon. Until next time, stay safe and remember, God really loves you. He sure does. Have a good day. Bye.